Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Now you have heard my name, which is more of a paragraph than a name really, at Webembeire. And you must be wondering, what kind of name is that? Why would you have an essay of a name? Well, I come from the eastern part of Africa, as I already said, where in 1935 we experienced the East Africa revival. I come from a region where most of the revival people were living, and since then a revival of a cultural revival came up where parents would name their children according to what God has done. So our names are descriptions of God's goodness and work of grace. My name, for instance, at Webembe, means he is leading us. If my brother was here, he is called Asasera. It means he forgives us. I have a sister called Natkunda, which means he loves us. So I guess that explains why we have paragraphs. Because when you begin to describe God, there is no telling how far you can go. But talking about this revival also, importantly, we need to remember what, what, what really sparked up this revival. Well, according to history, we are told that this revival began when two men, one white from the UK, another a Ugandan from the central, sat under a tree somewhere in Kampala, the capital city of Uganda, and they began to pray together. They were gripped by the passion for truth, they wanted Uganda or East Africa at large to know the God of the scriptures. And one question that was on their mind was, how do we bring God's kingdom in this, our country? How do we help God's people to discover God's truth as they open up God's word, the scriptures? They prayed, they opened the scriptures and did some Bible studies they reflected on what God's word meant, and inframed by that passion, they hit the streets, barefoot, different directions, unstoppable, and they proclaimed Christ wherever they were received or heard. And in a short while, the fire had sparked off. Revival was hitting the Uganda, hitting Rwanda, hitting Kenya and Tanzania, and like they say, the rest is history. Why are we here today? Have we come because we were longing to catch up, especially those who have some old friends among us? Yeah, good, but not really. We have gathered here from different corners, from different countries, against all odds and risks and challenges in this COVID pandemic, because we have a question on our minds. How do we help God's people to stand firm for truth? And particularly in Bible education, where really everything flows from. The pastor usually is a product of some kind of training, whether formal or informal. And the congregation really becomes what the pastor is or never at least goes beyond the pastor's abilities. So what we are saying is that what happens at the theological college or at any place of learning per se affects the leaders who go and plant churches, who go and minister to God's people, and eventually the effects are felt at the level of the congregation or the grassroots or the mission field. How do we as theological leaders and educators not only understand and appreciate biblical truth, but stand firm for it, model it for the watching world, explain it convincingly and with courage in a way, that the people who listen, that the people who follow will do likewise and stand firm in this truth. This morning we open up with the topic contending for the faith in theological education. And as I look at this word contend, I am reminded of what Jude writes for us in verses 3 and 4. When he says, while I was writing to you about the salvation we share, our common salvation, I found it necessary, and notice the key words he uses, I found it necessary to urge you to honestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The necessity, the urge, 
the earnestness with which we are called to contend for the faith. Now the word contend has echoes of standing firm for something or fighting for something. In fact, this word could also be understood to mean the discipline or the subject of apologetics. That when we really talk about contending for the faith, we are talking about apologetics. Apologetics, I'm sure most of you may already know that it comes from the Greek word apologia, originally used of a speech of defense or an answer given in reply. In practical terms, it could be defined as the rational explanation and defense of the Christian faith. That in apologetics, we seek to explain what we believe. We seek to explain what we mean by what we are saying. We seek to clarify what we are saying so that there is no room for confusion. And sometimes for what we are saying to be made clear, we refute the presuppositions and the thinking that people come with as they listen to us. The rational proclamation, explanation, clarification, defense of the Christian faith is what we think when we talk about the word apologetics. Why is this really important? So many reasons, but for starters, we notice that this is something that the Bible affirms and it takes very seriously. In fact, as we look at some New Testament precedents, we not only see that apologetics was practiced in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, but we notice that it is commanded. One famous passage that we usually use when we talk about apologetics comes from First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 where Peter, writing in a context of suffering believers who are being persecuted for their faith, invites them and challenges them on the need to make Jesus central, to set Jesus apart as Lord, but more than that, the need for preparation. That believers must always be prepared, must always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks them for the reason of the hope that is within them. Many times when I look at this passage, I wonder, why doesn't Peter say that give a defense to anyone who asks you about the hope within you? But you notice he adds something before the hope. He says anyone who asks you for the reasons of the hope within you. Yes, you have a hope, but that hope has reasons. It has a rationale. It has a foundation. It has a why of your faith that many people will come to us and they will wonder why we believe what we believe. They will wonder why we are different and unique from them. They will wonder why ours is a life of sacrifice and service and not just one of self-aggrandizement. And when they ask us, we have an opportunity to explain the why of our faith. We have an opportunity not only to convincingly explain the Christian faith to them, but to clarify it and make sure it is very well understood. Apologetics is commanded in Scripture that believers are to be equipped, are to be prepared, not just to know what they believe, but to know why they believe what they believe, and even more so, to know how to communicate what and why they believe. It's one thing to know what you believe. It's another thing to know why you believe what you believe. But can you go further and convincingly, hopefully convictingly, explain what you believe in a way that many will want to believe like you? And that's what apologetics really is about. Apologetics is not only commanded in scripture, but we also see it modeled. First by Jesus, then the apostles, in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 34, we meet Paul on Mars Hill, interacting or discussing or challenging the intellectuals of the day who come from different worldviews, different theological presuppositions, and yet Paul is able to present a case for God, a case for the Christian faith in a way that is convincing and confirming. But not only that, we see him also reasoning with the Jews in Acts chapter 18 uh, from verses 4. In verses 27 to 28, we meet Apollos, a man who greatly helped those who had believed through grace. As he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, 
demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. We live in times that are very much emotional. People these days would like to listen more with their feelings than their minds, and quite often they are not asking the questions that matter. In a time like ours, where Christianity is being shunned left and right, where science that claims to have the truth seeks to be taking the stage, Christians, especially Christian leaders and educators, are now more than ever before challenged to reconsider the subject of apologetics. How do we help people to think, to think rationally, to think logically, to think systematically, and to be able to interact with our faith in a way that those who do not believe or those who just feel but do not think are able to be convinced, not just in the mind but also in the heart as well. In the whole of the New Testament, we see the apostles and the disciples reasoning with and persuading opponents and doubters. We see the apostles teach believers how to identify and answer heretics and spiritual imposters. In fact, every book in the New Testament, except the book of Philemon, addresses false teachers and false teaching. And the apostles not only lay down the doctrinal foundations of our faith, but through their communication, they seek to show what is erroneous. They seek to show what is not clear. They seek to show who is denying or who is distorting the truth. And then they set a stage for right teaching, right belief, as well as right behavior. But not only that, for some of you who are students of church history, you know that apologetics does not just end in the New Testament. That in fact it's a key ingredient of the development of the early church. We had the early church fathers who had to contend against the teachings of the Judaizers, the teaching of the Gnostics. We had the ecumenical councils and creeds that contended for the faith against beliefs like Arianism, Docetism, Sabellianism, and several others. And of course we have our own Protestant reformers of the 15th and 16th century who sought to rediscover the faith, who sought to take the church back to the teaching and the truth of the scriptures against the additions, the rituals, and the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. Apologetics is important. Why? Because the Bible is apologetic in nature. The Bible itself commands us as believers to do apologetics. The Bible models for us on how well, how best, how relevantly we can do apologetics. But number two, apologetics is important in light of the current environment or context in which we live. A context of diverse spiritual alternatives. A context of a world in which we have different worldviews, yet where we have been called to promote the uniqueness of the Christian faith, to show the watching world, no matter which kind of worldview they come from, about the truthfulness and the relevance of the Christian faith. We have so many threats to the body of Christ in Africa today. Some are internal, others are external, but they are serious, and the sooner we face them, the better for all of us. Now, in terms of internal, it begins with the very weaknesses of the church, the vulnerability that we find in church leaders and those that follow them as well. Things like a lack of Bible knowledge, that today we have so many leaders or even pastors of churches who have not had any biblical or theological training at all. Either they have watched TV or they have listened to the radio or they have admired a certain guy who has written a book and copy-paste they have started a church. They don't know any better. And a pastor like that who is severely lacking in Bible knowledge and especially Bible doctrine, the essentials of the Christian faith, a pastor like this is not only likely to be misled but will mislead those that follow him as well. When a pastor is in error, the hundred or two hundred or five hundred people behind him cannot get it right. They are in error as well. And of course, a pastor can only share what he knows or what he has, and not more than that. 
A vulnerable pastor who is not trained, who is not biblically mentored, is very likely to mislead his flock. And that's what we are seeing happening in the so many churches around us today. A pastor who is not grounded in the essential teachings of the Christian faith is not able to ground his members in biblical truth, is not able to grow them in God's grace, and certainly cannot help them to guard their faith against seemingly looking but actually counterfeits of biblical Christianity. Externally, we have so many threats, but some of them especially come from cultic groups and heretic movements. And talking about these cultic groups, we have those that are local, where we find things like syncretism, especially as we see it manifested in the African-initiated churches. We have imported missionary sects. We have a growing influence of atheists and skeptics, And let's not forget missionary Islam that is very aggressive and seeking to take captive whoever it finds in its way. When we look at especially those African-initiated churches, I have two examples here to bring to your attention. And for some of you who live in southern Africa, you may know the group called Amazion, which is currently estimated about 15 to 18 million adherents. We have the Amazaletha estimated around 5 million. And all these people at one time either came from a Christian heritage or have been through some Christian system or claim to be Christian while at the same time they add local indigenous African traditional beliefs on top of the Christian faith. Serious threat. In terms of imported missionary sects, I am sure most of you are aware about Jehovah's Witnesses the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Currently in Southern Africa, they are estimated at around 1.3 million. We have Seventh-day Adventism, 3.1 million. We have the New Apostolic Church, estimated around 8 million. We have the Baha'i Faith, estimated around 500,000 adherents. Most of you are familiar with the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God. We have various Branhamite groups and sects within Southern Africa. We have some various aggressive South Korean groups like Good News Mission led by Oksupak. He's very popular and prominent within the East Africa region. Not so long ago he had some teachings in Malawi. We have another group called Chinchonji led by Manhili. We have the World Mission Society Church of God. And of course, several Africanized neo-Pentecostalism with its numerous prophets and pastors. As we gather here, I'm sure most of you have already heard that the famous prophet T.B. Joshua in Nigeria died, I think, on June 5th, the founder of the Synagogue Church of All Nations, perhaps one of the most notorious, most famous, most rich prophets that Africa as a continent has known. A man who has led thousands and thousands into error in the name of prophecies, visions, and dreams, none of which really are founded on biblical teaching and scripture. Groups like these not only pose a challenge to the Christian faith in terms of competition, but really even more dangerously, they work within Christian circles to deny, to distort, and if it were even possible, to destroy the Christian faith. It's one thing to understand some of these world religions like Hindus, like Buddhists, like uh, uh, these other Far East groups because they don't claim to be Christian. But when a group comes up that claims to be Christian, looks Christian, behaves Christian, almost is Christian, that becomes even much more dangerous because without discernment, God's people may not be able to tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong, between what is truth and what is error. The external threat against the Christian faith is one that we cannot afford to take for granted. Not only is it serious, but it is growing. And unless it is checked, one cannot tell how far we will go or what Christianity in Southern Africa might look like in the next 10 years. Now, we've looked at the importance of apologetics in theological education. We have looked at the threats that justify the need for the discipline and the practice of Christian apologetics. 
But may I tell you why this topic becomes even of great importance at a time like ours? And I want to say that there is a surprising lack of apologetics in evangelical theological training and institutions, particularly in Southern Africa. It is one thing to recognize that it is important. It is one thing to recognize that it is important, especially under the shadow of mushrooming cults and heretic movements. But it is even much more sobering to recognize that while we all agree we need it, there is a surprising lack of it, especially beginning with our theological institutions in Southern Africa. I was privileged to do my master's in, uh, uh, in Uganda, and my research was the apologetics education in theological institutions in Uganda. I was looking at how apologetics can be integrated in the different theological disciplines that are taught in theological schools, particularly in Uganda. And one of the things that I noticed was that courses in apologetics or cults and related subjects like contemporary worldviews, comparative religions, African traditional religion and Islam were very scarce in the curriculum of theological institutions in Uganda. A number of the lecturers that I spoke to, some of them had never heard about the word apologetics. Those who had heard it had read it informally in some articles or magazines. The few, about three, that I talked to had studied it as a course unit abroad, and when they came back to Uganda, there was nobody talking about it. They felt out of place. They kept quiet. And I was very surprised that something so important like this is not prioritized in theological institutions. Now, fast forward, just about a month ago, I began to do some research in preparation for this talk. My colleagues and I were especially doing some informal survey of apologetics in evangelical seminaries and Bible colleges in eight English-speaking countries in Southern Africa. We scoured the internet for evangelical seminaries and Bible colleges, and we noted a number of things. Number one, many did not have working websites, or if they did, they only have a badly maintained Facebook page. Many did not list their course offerings in detail, so it was very difficult to tell whether apologetics is taught or not. We carefully searched for courses in apologetics and cults or related subjects again, like contemporary worldviews, ATRs, world religions, Islam. And what we found was that almost no school offered any course labeled apologetics. Almost no schools offered any course labeled cults or something closely related. It seems that in no case were apologetics or cult courses required for either diploma or degree programs. Now, I might be mistaken, things might have been, my research might have been overtaken by events, but if you are from a theological institutional school that directly teaches apologetics, directly requires it as a must-have subject in theological training, please feel free to have a chat with me. I will be eager to learn from you. But there were some schools that were far better than the rest, and I think they deserve recognition. One of them being Mukanyo Theological College in, Southern, in South Africa. The other being South African Theological Seminary, also here in South Africa. Then there was Justo Mare University in Zambia, and of course our famous Central Africa Baptist University, and Trans-African Christian University, both in Zambia. These at least had some apologetic courses or apologetic-related courses that are being taught. Now, you can imagine, in the whole of Southern Africa, with so many churches that exist here, even new ones being planted almost every hour, or if not less, within Southern Africa, and we can count about three schools that are teaching the subject of apologetics. A drop in the ocean, as you can imagine. A challenge that we must wake up and rethink on how best we can change this trend. But what are the possible reasons for the neglect of apologetics in evangelical theological education? 
Again, this is part of what I was trying to research about for my masters. Why is it that apologetics, although we all agree that we need it, that it is biblical, that it is commanded and modeled for us, why is it that it's not being taught? Or if taught, it's taught indirectly or covered up in some other theological disciplines. Well, what I am giving you here are some of the findings I got as I interacted with the different theological educators, especially within the East Africa region. Number one, challenge number one was one of misperceptions. That for some, they think or believe that apologetics isn't really biblical. They see it as man trying to come into the teaching of scripture with his mind. Rather than believe everything by faith and emotion, we are trying to bring in our finite thinking, sometimes at the expense of God's word. So some thought apologetics, we are not sure whether it is really biblical that it should come at the forefront of our teaching. Number two, they said apologetics is for a few brilliant philosophers and not real, normal, ordinary Christians. When they think about apologetics, including some theological educators, they think it is a very high academic discipline that is reserved for the specially gifted, those who speak philosophy and all sorts of high-level academics, and they are the only ones who should be engaged in this discipline. It's a misunderstanding, it's a misperception, of course, but it's real, and many people believe it. Number three, some said that apologetics is irrelevant where actual atheists are few. In other words, what they are saying is, we only need apologetics in as far as we have a growing atheism. And if there are no people denying the existence of God or attempting to refute the resurrection or discrediting the scriptures, we really don't need to be debating and competing and discussing and arguing. It's, it's a waste of time. So in other words, I have had especially some African Christians and leaders who have said that we need apologetics in the Western world, but not really in Africa. Who doesn't know that God exists in Africa? Even the witch doctor believes that. So why would you want to waste your time trying to prove something that everybody already agrees with? This doesn't make sense. At least that's what many think or believe. Some have said that apologetics is mostly about arguing and debating. And what these really do is to produce some negative energy that nobody needs. Why not talk about the things we agree upon so that we can have some warm fellowship rather than just arguing and debating and looking at who has won and who has lost? Where does that take us? Another point, people have said that apologetics has little practical value after you have argued about the two natures of Christ and you have won the debate. So what? How does that change me? How does that help me in my understanding of the Christian faith or give me more confidence of the afterlife than I had before? So it is looked at as a discipline that is majorly engaged in by academics who mostly, let, let me use this word at the risk of offending some of us, that academics who are suffering from idleness, who are suffering from lack of what to do, they gather around a cup of coffee and, and they start discussing things, the Council of Trent, as my brother Kenneth likes to say, uh, whether we should baptize or infants or not, and uh, they heated debates, and uh, eventually the winner is, yeah, I won them, I showed them, I proved to them. And for the lay ordinary people who do not have academic minds, they are there yawning and wondering what these guys are really talking about. You see, the Greek word for baptism is actually not that one, what you are saying. Ah, no, 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 no. no. Well, what about the Hebrew meaning, especially the Hebrew etymology? You know, they, they, they listen to the discussion and they are thinking, why are we here? Now, if apologetics is thought to mean that, is it a surprise that many would be very reluctant to engage in it? Or maybe even theological institutions would go very slowly to put it at the forefront in their curriculum? Or that maybe a few of those who uh, favor apologetics are likely to be outvoted when it comes to deciding whether it should be included in the curriculum or not? It's not a surprise because of these misperceptions. 
But one other reason that I believe is very important was that there was a lack of appealing, widely known African advocates or role models. When it comes to the subject of apologetics, we do not have many Africans who have studied apologetics and confidently are willing to go in the public and be known for what they have studied or even be willing to engage. So even if I had an interest in the subject, I am likely to fail to find African models that can help to mentor me into the discipline. Either they will be Westerners who have come to teach in our colleges, and many times when they discuss it, it sounds more Western, deals with Western worldviews, and it leaves me like an African wondering how relevant that stuff is for me, and therefore no moral. Or maybe they themselves are few and not eager to be controversial, so they prefer to keep quiet in the name of peace and maintaining the fellowship. And when such appealing role models or African advocates are missing, then it leaves a very big gap in terms of who will mentor the new generation into this. Thanks to people like Dr. Conrad Mbewe, who in so many ways have done very well, not only to engage and make a case for the truthfulness of the Christian faith, but also to identify and expose the error, which in most cases many people are not eager to do for wanting to avoid controversy. He's one man I know who will graciously, lovingly tell you the truth. You may not like it, but you will feel that he speaks it because he loves you. I wish we had many more of the Mbewes in Southern Africa who are willing to speak the truth in love, who are willing to expose error, but even more importantly, expose it to the scriptures for the benefit of many. But I also noticed, number three, that we have a lack of a standardized, contextualized textbooks and other curriculum resources. While many institutions would love to create their own, some of them lack specialized knowledge to do that. We have engaged in several discussions uh, and interactions in East Africa on how best we can develop a relevant apologetics curriculum. But often when we sit at the table, we recognize that there is a lack of specialized knowledge to do this, especially with no prior experience or exposure to apologetics in Africa. And that as long as there is a lack of standardized, contextualized textbooks and curriculum resources, the subject of apologetics or its teaching is going to continue to suffer. Not only that, there is a lack of qualified instructors in this field, either by virtue of formal training or experience. I remember when the Africa Center for Apologetics research began, that was in 2009, I first met with our executive director from the U.S. who had been coming to Uganda since 2006 looking for people who were involved in apologetics within East Africa, and he found none. So he realized the partnership was not going to be possible because nobody was doing anything. He decided maybe it's time to start a center. He carried out a number of visits to Uganda. He did interviews with different Christian leaders, but everybody he met either had never heard of the word or probably was not interested in being involved in something they don't know and have no idea where it is going. I remember first time I met this guy, and he begins to interview me on my experience with apologetics. And when he mentioned the word in my mind, I was like, Kapolo, what? <laughs> so I'm here looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, why would anyone want to start an organization to go around apologizing? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and what have you done anyway that you should apologize for it? Now, this is the guy being interviewed to open up an apologetics ministry in East Africa. And I'm here wondering what he is talking about. And remember, I had just graduated from a Bible college after four years of intensive, good theological training, but I never heard the word apologetics. Now you can imagine, since then, we still do not have any universities in East Africa formally teaching apologetics as a subject, some who have tried either hide it under church history or some comparative worldviews, but it's a segment, sometimes even an hour's class, but really not much. The lack of qualified instructors in this field is very serious. 
And if we are to start thinking how best we can have this discipline in our education, we better begin identifying people we can train for, for to become instructors. Because if you don't have instructors, even if you had a good curriculum, who's going to teach it? How are they supposed to appreciate it if they themselves have not gone through it to understand what it's about? But also, finally, there is a lack of confidence in possibly having to address a range of controversial doctrines or uncomfortable denominational disputes. We live in a world today where truth every day is being pushed to the sidelines in the name of love and sincerity. Let's love one another, and whatever it is you believe, just believe it sincerely. As long as you are sincere, God will understand. So today we are eager to be sincere and to, to love one another and tolerate each other. And when truth stands in the way of love and sincerity, we are willing to sacrifice the truth. Not many of us would like to be involved in theological controversies and contentions. Not many of us would like to talk about denominational issues and differences, subjects that make us very uncomfortable. And if we do that, again, we do them in the spirit of competition, looking for the winner, not really intending to learn from one another and grow in God's truth. So such a huge challenge. Apologetics has a lot to do with refuting error, or challenging existing alternative worldviews while promoting the integrity and credibility of the Christian faith. And if you are not willing to engage where there is controversy, chances are you are going to compromise the truth or you are going to shy away from the table where the discussion is. For that and so many reasons, apologetics has remained in the background. It is a subject that nobody wants to talk about, assuming that many know about it. Now, perhaps I am releasing negative energy again. I am telling you everything negative and you are starting to wonder, when are you going to come to the good stuff? You're telling us problems after problems. and uh, So what do we do? How do we move from here? Yes, we hear the challenges. Yes, we, 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 we hear the problems. But how do we move on from here? Well, there are a number of things that we can begin to do. Some corrective steps that you and I hopefully from here can take moving forward and see how to develop or promote apologetics. Number one is that we need to start emphatically, intentionally giving due attention to apologetics in relation to theology, evangelism, missions, and several other disciplines, to ensure that apologetic approaches, whenever possible, are incorporated in what we are doing. If you are teaching church history, don't just give us the fact of the development of the church. Stop at the creeds and the ecumenical councils and provide a rationale why believers in their day thought it was important or necessary to uh, identify the two natures of Jesus, why they thought it was important to properly understand the Trinity, because that was really the practice of apologetics. Men who were willing not to shy away from controversies, but to face them through the lenses of Scripture. We hear what you are saying, you Gnostics, you aliens, but what does the Bible say? And they formulated some of those creeds that have helped to guide the church along the way. No matter what discipline you are teaching in a theological institution, it is very easy to use apologetics to help explain what you are teaching. But number two, we need to intentionally require at least one apologetics survey course for all diploma and degree programs that we as theological leaders and educators need to start discussions where at least for diplomas and degrees, we make sure there is an apologetic survey course. It may not be intensive, it may not be detailed, but at least it can begin to introduce our students or leaders to some of these issues and how best to deal with them. A course like this could involve general apologetics, contemporary cults and religions and worldviews. It could help these students to identify and be able to answer different religious groups or worldviews that they are likely to encounter. 
A course like this should identify and adapt the best existing curriculum resources and, if possible, create new ones that are culturally relevant and regionally specific. As I continue to, to look at the different apologetics resources online, in books, one of the things that disturbs me very much is that not much about Africa has really been captured in these textbooks. That you will read a lot of Western issues, Western controversies and debates, and of course these books are written by Western scholars who have used Western ways of writing. That to an African, sometimes it becomes difficult to follow through, read a book from the beginning to the end. And as we think about introducing this on the African continent, we still need Western resources, but we need to use them in a way that is culturally relevant and regionally specific. Looking at issues and themes and groups that Africa is dealing with realistically and addressing them. It does not make sense if you come to an area where 80% of the people living there are Jehovah's Witnesses, and then you come and introduce a course where you are teaching Hinduism, Roscrucianism, Transcendental Meditation. And I'm not saying that those are bad to address. They may come someday. But don't you really want to begin by scratching where it itches? That's where you would want to begin from. This is the reality at hand. These are the people knocking on believers' doors every day, seeking to establish Jehovah's organization. So how do we quickly, realistically, relevantly respond to the challenge at hand? We need curriculums that are up to date, that are relevant, that are regionally specific, that are dealing with issues that members are grappling with now. But number three, we need to have an initiative to create new standard curriculum materials on apologetics and cults. This would include standard textbooks and manuals and supplemental readings that are adaptable to diploma and degree levels. Not so long ago, as I was doing my research, I came across a manual that uh, Dr. DeVries has uh, done. I think you've been teaching some course on apologetics and cults at Mukanyo. I found it very relevant and uh, context-specific, so thank you so much. We need more of those manuals. So, in a way, I am seeking permission indirectly to adapt your material uh, to use in the East Africa region. So, please, permit me. But this is very important. We need setters like him, that we have some things that we can begin to work with as we consider the context in which God has called us. Curriculum materials like these need not only to be adapted to diploma and degree levels, but they should be available and suitable for use in institutions, especially from a variety of denominational perspectives. That's another thing I find very, very challenging. And I think it is worth mentioning that one of the problems we have in our Christian circles today is to think denominationally. And sometimes we tend to forget that heaven is not for a particular denomination. That at the end of the day, heaven is for men who have been fervent, faithful followers of Christ. Not necessarily who were to a certain denominational leaning. So today you might find even apologetics resources, but say if they are coming from a Presbyterian theological institution, they sound like an apologetic for Presbyterianism. Not really for the Christian faith. That if you follow it logically to its conclusion, it is designed to make you Presbyterian. But not really Christian. Now I think this is a matter that we need to start thinking about brothers and sisters. That if we are going to produce a relevant apologetic for the issues facing the African continent, we must be able to transcend our denominational boundaries and look at the essential things that guide and govern us as believers and begin to pay serious, specific attention to these things. That yes, even when you are a principal in a Baptist college, you are remembering that Christianity is much more than being Baptist. And therefore, you are eager to consider issues and discussions and themes that go beyond your denomination and help believers, no matter where they are, to be able to make use of these resources in a way that builds them in the Christian faith 
I am not saying denominationalism is not important. We need not only to have common ground on the things we agree upon, sometimes we also need to agree to disagree, but beyond all that we need to remember we are trying to build the kingdom of God, not my denomination. Very, very important. We need to give due emphasis to themes, issues, and groups that are of genuine relevance, as I've already said this, and that have practical value to the real lives of Christians in Africa. We need to prioritize the equipping of pastors and Christian workers for real-life situations. As I've mentioned earlier, most of the churches today are very vulnerable to error and false teaching because the leadership of these churches have not been trained biblically and theologically, and especially in the area of Christian apologetics. Pastors can only give what they have, and if they don't have it, chances are their congregations will not have it. And these days of, let me call it spiritual prostitution, where believers are members of one church, but really feeding from different theologies, from radio and TV and what, members are likely to find their own theology if their pastor is not giving it to them. And that's why so many believers today are in serious error. You find a Christian, he is a Baptist by membership, but by theology he is a charismatic or neo-Pentecostal or whatever it is you call it. His real pastor is online. The one he meets on Sunday for two hours or thirty minutes is really ritualistic. But he draws his theology where he's been feeding from Monday to Saturday, which could be on TV, on radio, or online. How do we equip our pastors so that they are not only knowledgeable in this area on how to defend and stand firm for the faith, but that they are eager to equip their church members so that wherever they are bombarded by alternative theologies and beliefs, they are able to identify them, differentiate them, and stand firm for what is really, really true. So we need wide-scale efforts in training pastors and Christian workers and most especially to do this in non-traditional settings. Theological institutions need to begin thinking of ways in which they can take theological education to the people. Originally, we've been waiting for people to come to us. If they never come, that is their problem. We have always waited at our institutions of learning for people who are interested to come. But how do you gain an interest of something you do not know? In our language, we have a saying that a child can never cry for what he has never eaten. For you to cry for something or miss it, you must have tested it before. So we need to go out. And like Christ has sent us for, to go into the nations of the world with the Great Commission, we need to go out into the world with theological education. Informally, giving people a test of what we offer at our institutions of learning so that people who have tested can follow us to these institutions of learning and gain knowledge. We should also remember the fact that we have so many pastors today who are not academically qualified for our theological education. Most seminaries and Bible colleges will be expecting you to have reached a certain standard of education for you to qualify for the seminary. But what about the thousands and hundreds and millions of pastors who are not educated or qualified for that level, but they are still in positions of Christian leadership? Most of these pastors are the ones leading tens of thousands of believers, by the way. So if you ignore them, you do so at your own peril. Whether we like it or not, they are already in church leadership, and every day, innocently or ignorantly, they mislead the unsuspecting. How can we, as theological educators, design a strategy or a curriculum that will find these men and women wherever they are, and we serve them at their level of comprehension in settings and contexts using models that are applicable to them and in ways that they very much appreciate. If we do not do this, our theological educations will never be able to make an impact or a difference because we wait for the 20 students who come to our theological institutions. But for every 20 students who come, there are millions of people who have started churches. 
have never been to a classroom, have never had anybody guide them on how to interpret the Bible or how to appreciate Bible doctrine and whether we like it or not, they are teaching, they are reading. It's high time for us to get out of our high horses. Step down. Be real. Go where it counts. Meet the people who need us the most. And for that to happen, we must be designing models of apologetics curriculum, courses, and manuals in languages they understand, teaching them in ways they can very much relate to, so that as we reach these Christian leaders, who also reach their members or their congregations, together we can have a mission force in a mission field that is very much equipped for, to, for God's people to defend the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. We, as the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, understood this earlier on, and we decided that we were going to be an apologetics ministry that is culturally relevant and context-specific. Many people ask us, why do you do counterculture apologetics most of the time? We, we don't hear you talking about classic apologetics. Is it because you don't believe in it? We say no. We believe in it. But we are also aware of the context in which we are serving. We don't want to just go through the curriculum because that is what it is. We want to ask ourselves, is this beneficial to the people before us here and now? Can they use what we are giving them to interact with the so many people from different religions and alternative spiritualities in a way that will build the body of Christ? So we designed our approach to be simple, culturally relevant. We have written some materials on different cultic groups in the simplest language possible. Some of them we've even uh, translated them in local languages for those people who may not be able to read English. You don't have to know English to study apologetics. That's what we are saying. Apologetics can find you where you are, at your level, and help you no matter who you are or where you are. For those people who can't read, we have designed audio and video materials in local languages so that at least they can be able to hear the word of God in their own context and language. Now, I can't say that we have arrived or we have done all we need to do. Certainly, it remains a drop in the ocean, but we are committed to do everything we can to equip believers across Africa for the defense of the Christian faith, for biblical discernment, and for cult evangelism, God being our help. I pray that the Lord will challenge each one of us as we reconsider this subject, that we will leave this place enframed with a desire, number one, to know and appreciate the discipline for what it is, to understand and identify the challenges that surround it and be able to discuss ways in which we can overcome them, but when all is said and done, to not just stay here sipping a cup of coffee, looking at the pros and cons of apologetics, but to go out there and actually do it and make it count. May God bless you. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.